What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm an basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers speak basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I am your host, Krangis McBasketball. For today, you can call me Tim. And the Lakers are in the finals, playing the Heat. The series starts on Wednesday, and today we will be using this time to really break down and preview what that matchup looks like, how each of those teams may attack the others, what we might see in terms of tactics and in terms of set plays, and just helping you as Laker fans or, or potentially even as Heat fans, understand what makes these teams work and what we might want to do from a Laker perspective to shut down what Miami does and, and attack some of their weak areas. If you've been following my work over at B-Ball Index throughout the playoffs and you read my like 10,000 uh, word article on the Portland series and my like 8,000 word article on the Houston series and my 6,000 word article on the Denver series, this will be sort of like that. Uh, it will be following that similar similar outline, and I don't plan to release a big manifesto of uh, words for the pre-series breakdown on the site. However, I will have that uh, a short article accompany the release of this that will just include some diagrams and maybe a couple short videos just to help illustrate some of the concepts we're talking about today. But this will be the official way and in the way I'll be covering the series moving forward. Tom, if you haven't noticed, is not here with us today, but he will be back soon. Um, he's he's doing well, um, and we'll we'll see him next time. But for today, uh, Heat Lakers, let's let's get right into it. So one of the first things that I take a look at when I am scouting another team is trying to figure out what makes their offense work. What do they do most frequently? How good are they at those most frequent attacks? And of those most frequent attacks, which one should we focus on trying to stop? You, you don't run a game plan to stop a Goran Dragic spot up. That's, that's more of a result of the, the heat breaking down your defense in another way and then kicking it out, and then he's there catching and shooting or, or catching and attacking a closeout. Uh, likewise, we don't quite diagram to stop Bam Adebayo dump offs. Those are these again. These are those are results. They happen frequently, but if those are happening and if they're happening on high volume, it's because you're not doing a good enough job defending the other actions that Miami runs. So that's what we're going to focus on today. But just to help set the stage, let's take a look at the top ten actions or the top ten play types for individual players that Miami uses when they attack. So most frequently. We will see the Goran Dragic pick and roll uh, about nine times per game. 
he has only been his efficiency when he's the scorer in these situations has only been higher than 38 percent of playoff players uh during the regular season that was higher than 71 percent of all players and the reason we'll get into this in a little bit but teams have that scouting report on him and and this isn't to me this isn't just him going through a little bit bit of a slump I think it's teams recognizing where where he's strong and where he's weak in these um but this is an action that that I have highlighted because that pick and roll is something that does result in those spot ups for other players or those dump offs to Bam Adebayo so that will be a key action we'll talk about in a bit next we have the Jimmy Butler pick and roll which happens about six times in six times per game uh, his efficiency is a little bit higher than Dragic's, uh, 58th percentile during the regular season, or over the, over the full, the full year, it was in the 57th percentile. So he's been about who he was. Uh, then we have the Jay Crowder spot up, the Goran Dragic spot up, and then the Bam Adebayo cut and dump off. Um, Dragic and Crowder are mid 70th percentiles in terms of efficiency on those. Uh, Crowder is an interesting case that we'll get into because he shot very poorly in Memphis and then shot the lights out in Miami during the regular season and then in the playoffs he started out shooting hot and has had a hit a pretty big wall um the past few games and has seemed to fall back down to earth so we'll get into that in a little a little bit that bam out of bio cut or, or dump off has been in the 56th percentile um so he's been about an average guy finishing on those in the regular season he was only in the 31st percentile so not really even that good um for a guy that certainly demands a lot of respect I digging into some of these numbers he does have a few weak areas and and some of those areas that like you don't want to give up lobs to him but if you're not giving up lobs there there are certainly ways the Lakers can defend him and not have to be uh, too worrisome about what he can do to your defense next we have the Tyler Hero pick and roll which happens about four times per game that that leads to a shot from him or a trip to the free throw line or a turnover uh, he also, not all that efficient of a pick-and-roll score, uh, 40th percentile during the regular season. He was in the 29th percentile. Um, but this, again, is another action that the, the three pick-and-roll players, these generate offense for the rest of the team. Um, when I talk about what an offensive engine is, it's not just those na- those fancy features that score some points and are efficient. It's what really makes the whole thing go. Um, you can have the, the, the sickest, I don't know, I'm not a car person, spoilers or, or we, I don't know, wheels, maybe not be a good example. You might have a great windshield, but, uh, what's going to make the car go or not is, is that engine. So if you can target the engine, it doesn't matter if you have those nice, you know, individual, like Bam Adebayo can be a great roll man, but if you're shutting down the pick and roll and he's not able to get those, you're, you're helping stop that Miami offense. Tyler Hero spot ups also happen with some frequency, uh, 63rd percentile in the playoffs, 95th percentile on the year as a whole. So he's actually shot a little bit below uh, what he's done on the, the full year. Um, and, and those also include when he attacks a closeout and tries to get to the rim or, or shooting a, a floater or a pull-up mid-range shot. Then we have Duncan Robinson handoffs. And this is something that we'll see frequently. This is something that on the full season has been more efficient than just about everybody, 96th percentile. And Duncan Robinson on the regular season was the player that used the most handoffs um, of anybody. And in the playoffs, we've seen him fall back down a little bit in terms of his efficiency, 67th percentile. But he's a key guy, and that's a key action that we're going to talk about because those handoffs also compromise the defense and have resulted in an extra offense for the rest of Miami. Then we have Bam Adebayo rolls. 
and this includes pops, which he's not efficient at, slips, which he's, which he's efficient at, and, and rolls themselves, which he's okay at. Uh, 73rd percentile on the full year. He's in the 72nd percentile, so he's been about who he is. Jimmy Butler isolation is, is the last of the 10 that we're going to talk about. This happens maybe three times per game where he's isolating from the perimeter and, and gets a shot off. Uh, 57th percentile on the full year, 69th percentile. So a little bit of a dip there. We'll also see Goran Dragic isolate. He's he's good isolating against mismatches, not so good against guards. So as long as we're not, uh, if we are giving up switches, depending on who it's for, those will be guys he'll target. We saw last series he go at uh, Grant Williams or Ennis Cantor or Daniel Tice. So those were the mismatches he was trying to drive against. And he's really a driver in those situations. If we can just keep his isolations to late clock offense, not against a mismatch, the Lakers are in pretty good shape. Bam and Tyler Hero have also isolated a little bit, not all that frequently, and they've been really poor both in the postseason and in the year overall from an efficiency standpoint. So not really worried about those. Uh, even the Dragic isolations, those are nice, and and he'll be efficient, but those aren't generating offense for the, for the rest of the team. So they're not a huge concern of mine. Uh, I also want to note that Jimmy Butler may post up a guard about twice per game, but you're better just living off the just living with those results rather than sending a, a double team against a great playmaker, which he he definitely is. That has plenty of good shooters, some good cutters, and a lob threat around him. So that's those are some of the top ways that Miami runs their offense. Those materialize in specific set plays, which this may not be the best vehicle to try to communicate. Um, throughout the series, I'll be breaking down some of those. I have a couple different ways to annotate and and present film now that I'll be using in the series that I previewed just a little bit last series. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Follow me on Twitter at Tim underscore NBA for, for that sort of analysis. From all of these, I would say that I've, I see three offensive engines. The pick and roll, just in general, is one. Bam playmaking, and, and it may not shine through in those numbers specifically, but Bam Adebayo being used as a facilitator is a big piece of this offense. And then handoffs, which Bam is often the the one executing, but just handoffs in general have, have also been a big thing for Miami, whether it be Bam or Solomon Hill or Andre Iguodala or Jay Crowder being the guys handing that off. This is something that is, is used frequently Miami. They're first in usage for handoffs in the playoffs as a whole. This isn't just a Duncan Robinson thing. Uh, and, and actually the, the team's second in usage was the Denver were the Denver Nuggets. So perhaps a little bit of preparation there for the Lakers from last series looking ahead to this one. When we talk about the pick and roll, it's really about those three players. Goran Dragic is is priority number one. Then we have Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero. But interestingly, if we look at the 32 players this postseason that have used 25 or more pick and roll scoring possessions, Hero and Dragic are actually second and third lowest in terms of the percentage of those plays where they actually pass out to create for for their teammates. When those guys are running a pick and roll, they're generally looking to score. So I think that's some really good context. But there is a very clear trend for when those pick and roll opportunities do create offense for others, and and that's really what I'm worried about. If those two guys are just going to run pick and roll and and try to score for themselves, I can live with that, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But the pick and roll that I don't want to see is... LA trying to run the catch hedges that that we ran uh, against Portland or at times against Houston or last series against Denver 
because what this team has that those two teams didn't quite have as much is they're going to run five out spacing and they're going to have a very, very good lob threat to throw to. So if you run one of those catch hedges where your big man, we'll say it's Anthony Davis, is at the level of the screen and you let Bam get behind you, especially when the Lakers are playing small, it's going to be really difficult for us to recover to that and stop that lob because this is something Miami does often, is very willing to do, and pretty efficient at doing. But if you can take away that lob, the other roles for Bam are ones that I am happy living with. And if you do try to take away that lob with extra help, that will generate open three-point looks for the other players on the offense. And Miami is a team with a lot of really good three-point shooting. Some elite guys, I believe, let's look at it. They have, we'll get into it in a little bit, but they have about four or five different guys who I really just do not want to see getting any open threes. So trying to defend that action without letting Bam get behind you is going to be a key to this. I, I struggled to find film of Dragic or Hero creating for others against drop coverage, which is, is a little hint at where I think this might go. Um, because by playing that drop coverage, and instead of having your big stand up at the level of the screen, having them drop back into the paint deeper uh, so that they're defending the rim from a drive, there's no way that Dragic is going to get by them, which or here can get by them, which they might. Dragic is a very, very good driver. And if you are trying to double or send some sort of aggressive hard hedge or a catch hedge, they might be able to drive past that big man. And we, we've seen that countless times. But also, by having your big drop back, you don't give up that lob opportunity. And by also dropping back, you can keep this a two-on-two action and not require extra help from the other three defenders on the court, which means fewer open three-point looks. So I think the approach, at least to start this series, will be to play these pick and rolls with with a drop coverage and then having the, so, so the big man's going to drop, the guard in these situations, I would prefer to go over the screen against Tyler Hero and Goran Dragic, but against Jimmy Butler, I'm willing for them to just go under that screen, the same way we've seen Portland and Houston and Denver defend LeBron James pick and rolls. If Jimmy Butler's going to take pull-up threes behind the screen to beat us, that, that is, I mean, if, that, if that's the way I'm going to lose, that's, if I'm going to lose, that's the way I want to lose. All right, this isn't something he's good at. It's not something he does often. And let's, let's take a look at those, those pull-up shots because when you play drop coverage, what that prevents are those drives to, drives to the rim and those lobs to bam, which I think are the two ways that Miami hurts you most and, and also giving up those open threes from sending extra help. Those, those are the three ways Miami's going to hurt you most in the pick and roll. So that's what we're going to take away with this coverage. If we ran a catch hedge, we would be looking more to take away the pull-up three, the same way we tried to do against Bam, or I'm sorry, against Dame Lillard. If we were to send a double team, the goal there would be to get the ball out of the ball handler's hand, just because we're so worried about their dynamic scoring, and then let Miami attack four on three. That's not really what I want to do in this series, and that's something where... Bam Adebayo is, is well-equipped from a playmaking standpoint to be able to make those reads. Um, I would rather have my big man further back. And, and just in general, the further back you have your big against the pick-and-roll, one, the more likely they are to be able to defend the rim against the ball handler, and two, the shorter distance they have, or even they end up behind the, the roller, so they don't have to worry about those lobs. Against, the, against Houston, you know, lobs weren't an issue. Against Denver, Labs weren't an issue. 
in this series, lobs are going to be an issue. So playing that drop coverage is what I want to do. That's what it takes away. What it will give up to Miami are pull-up three-pointers if if we're not able to get back pressure from our guards and the mid-range pull-up two-pointers. Both of these I am far more okay with conceding than drives to the rim or lobs to Adebayo or a collapsing defense and kickouts for open threes to like Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero. So that's just, that's what I'm willing to give up and willing to take away. I think it's the perfect match for what this team likes to do and what they're good at. In many situations and even throughout these playoffs, playing dynamic guards that are good at driving and also good at shooting has made it difficult or you were choosing more the least bad of different ball screen coverages and saying, all right, we're going to live with giving up four on three situations consistently or something like that. In this series, I just think there's a right answer. And we're going to start off playing drop coverage. If they show that they're able to counter that in ways that I haven't seen them do this playoffs on film, we'll adjust from there. But if we're giving up pull-up threes, let's, let's just take a look at how the volume and the efficiency of those three players on pull-up threes. For the playoffs... Tyler Hero is 24th in pull-up three-point attempts at 2.7 per game, and he's hitting 34% of those. On the regular season, he he shot just slightly less, 2.4 per game, and hit 33%. Not going to kill you. Not awful, but uh, somewhere in between. Goran Dragic, he was 25th in attempts in the playoffs at 2.6 per game, so just below Hero. His efficiency is also just below Hero at 33%, but on the regular season, he shot 22 and hit 37% of those attempts. Jimmy Butler is 57th in attempts at just one per game. He's shooting 43%, but on the regular season, he shot about one and a half and hit 21%. So Jimmy Butler is not a perimeter shooter, and he'll he'll hit some now and then, but I would venture to guess that that 43% won't stay that high if if this series goes. I, I mean, even with even with four games or five games, add some volume to that, I, I bet that number will drop. So those are three guys that they, they can hit these shots, but we're not facing a Jamal Murray or a Dame Lillard where they're going to hit 45% of these shots. So that is an action. That's a shot that if they're a little hot and they put up some points, okay. But if they go cold a little bit, that's going to kill their offense. And this offense doesn't work when they're not getting those open threes because from a collapsing defense. They're not getting the lobs. They're not getting the drives to the rim and drawing foul trouble. Uh, this is a way to keep the Lakers really owning the paint on defense uh, because all you're really going to give up are those pull-up threes and pull-up twos. When we look at the pull-up twos, uh, Hero is hitting 44% during the regular season. He hit 38%. Dragic is hitting 39% during the regular season. He hit 41%. Jimmy Butler, again, 38%. Regular season, 31%. So, these aren't guys, let's say, who, who's the highest on their hero at 44% during the playoffs. That That's a big jump from what he did in the regular season, and it's still 0.88 points per possession. 88 offensive rating. That's more, I'm more than happy to give that up. If you look at the pull-up threes between Hero and Dragic, if they're hitting 34%, uh, what is that? 1.02, 102 uh, offensive rating. That's another thing that, like, that's fine, but the Lakers offense is going to score far more efficiently and in the playoffs a 102 offensive rating is just not good at all I think that would be dead last among teams so if if this is one of their key actions and that is what we're going to give up to them 
until they find an adjustment and, and we'll cover that and we can talk next podcast about maybe some of the things they could try to do. This would be my starting coverage for the Lakers. And if we look at the regular season data and and take a look at how these players have performed in those situations, just with the second spectrum data that, that was provided to me by a source. If you look at Jimmy Butler on ball screens where he got drop coverage and the ball handler, his defender went under the screen, he was scoring point, or, or I guess Miami overall was scoring 0.7 points per direct scoring opportunity on those possessions. Um, if we look at Goran Dragic, this was another guy that there is a very clear answer to how you would want to be defending him because for him, again, drop coverage and the defense going over, he was scoring 0.97 points per direct scoring opportunity. Um, just we're happy with that. We're more than happy with that. If we look at Tyler Hero, and let me just pull up my notes, Tyler Hero against uh, going over and then drop coverage, 0.71 points per direct scoring opportunity. This is bad. Those are really bad scoring values. Um, this is an offensive engine for this team, but if you play it the right way, and for whatever reason, Boston didn't quite play it the right way all the time, we should see the Lakers defend this pretty well. And, and another thing that this lets LA do is, unlike the previous three series, where we had to have the big man in this action on defense out and trying to bother that ball handler, get in their face, get more on the perimeter. In those situations, we're more vulnerable to ball handlers driving by us or isolating against our bigs. In this series, if we're playing drop coverage, all of a sudden we don't need to be worried about JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard defending on the perimeter nearly as much as they otherwise would. So that is how I would start. I think the Lakers are also capable of switching the hero bam pick and roll because those are two guys that if they do isolate, I think will fare pretty well against them. Um, there may be other ways to approach this. We can certainly run other coverages, but this to me was the clear number one option for how the Lakers should try to start the series. Something that we have seen the Lakers go to that falls right along with this is what they call weaking a screen. And the goal here is if, if I'm dominant with my right hand and my teammates set a ball screen for me to go to my right dominant side, what the Lakers will do is have my defender jump out and deny that path for me so I can't go off my right side and I have to go off left instead and go to my weak hand. This is really good against players who are very one-hand dominant. We saw them use this against Dame Lillard in the first round. And they actually, I believe they made him go to his right uh, instead of his left. In this series, I think this might be another way that the Lakers could approach this. You can do that with a catch hedge, which is what the Lakers did in the first round. In this round, I would still do that, but with a drop hedge from the big. So same idea of the coverage from the big standpoint, but for the guard, it's, it's a matter of don't let this player go off their strong hand, make them go their weak side, and then try to have to figure it out from there. So that can be disruptive, and that's something that is well within what the Lakers like to do, and we'll probably see some of that, some of that uh, from them in this series. And when we look at how the Lakers like to defend these ball screens, in the regular season, what they were most comfortable doing and what they did most often was run that drop coverage. So this is well within their ballpark. This is well within the, the capability of the personnel. 
this might suddenly make JaVale McGee look way more playable than we've seen in some of the other rounds. Uh, Dwight Howard, who's been holding his own and, and being strong on ball as a defender, doesn't quite have that on-ball post-up threat to need to defend in this round, so he loses some value from that perspective. But if, again, he's not going to be exposed on the perimeter, that's someone you're, you're more able to play in this round, and, and we can use his rebounding and his him being a lob threat and his uh, rim protection from, from a help off-ball standpoint. So that is how I would look to defend that pick-and-roll. The second key offensive engine for Miami is the sets and the actions that they will run with Bam Adebayo as a facilitator. He is not a shooter. He is not a post threat. There are, there are a lot of things that Bam is not, but he is a good passer and he is a good roller and he's a big body. And Miami takes advantage of that by having him either stand at the high post, the low post, the top of the key, or sometimes in uh, what we call pistol action, where he's he's like on the wing, but just a little bit inside the three-point line, and he'll have a guy run behind him, and he might hand it off, he might not hand it off. Um, that guy running behind him might go set a screen, and th- there are different actions that can flow off of that. But Miami will use those one, two, three, yeah, four different locations to create facilitation opportunities for Bam. And then after he hands that ball off, he often is looking to either screen for somebody else or he'll stand around in case that player who, who gets the ball from him then wants to pass it back to him and then run off another handoff, or he might roll hard. So those are all good ways to use a non-shooting big. And let's start by saying that while Bam is one of the league's best facilitating big men, he is very much more in the Plumlee or Nurkic mold of playmaking rather than the Nikola Jokic. Uh, he, he's not a Nikola Jokic caliber playmaker. From... The, just from the, the volume of, of offense that flows through him, we're going to cover this, but he's much more a guy. And, and if you haven't been following my coverage, let me, let me add some perspective. Nikola Jokic can make all the passes. Nikola Jokic can see the floor, pass well against double teams. He can pass while driving. He's got great one-handed passes. He's able to pass while being a, a great attacking threat under pressure, all those different things. Plumlee in that last series and Nurkic in the first series, those are guys who... And also from a short roll perspective, if you play drop coverage, one thing that will concede is that big man just dropping a little bit, uh, or I'm sorry, if our big man drops, the roll man, the, the screener can kind of get in, get, look to get that pocket pass. Um, and the same can be said about catch hedges, where then if, if they're not rolling hard and they just get that pocket pass, you might have a very short temporary four on three opportunity where they can look to drive or shoot or facilitate for others. Nikola Jokic is somebody that killed the Lakers last season in the few chances that we did give him to attack in those short roll scenarios. But Plumlee and Nurkic and Bam are not guys who are going to do that. So that's something to know for our ball screen coverages. And this is also somebody that a lot of his playmaking is stationary from the perimeter. He is making easy passes. Uh, they're not the highest of value passes. And we have metrics for these, these things over at B-Ball Index. Bam is high volume, um, but his from a versatility standpoint in terms of the passes he is able to make, in terms of you know just what's in his bag, what kinds of passes can he make, he's towards the bottom of that list. So he's making easier passes. I looked at all of his assists from the uh, Boston series, and he's actually Miami's leader in assists for the playoffs. So I, I don't want to say he can't facilitate or can't play make, but it's good to understand how he is getting those assists. Most of them, like more than half of those, 
are handoffs or where he's just standing at the top of the key. Um, either, either he dribbled up there or somebody, he ran up and somebody passed him the ball in what we would call a, a delay set. And he is just passing to simple flare screens or pin downs, um, or, or back screens. Uh, and I mean, he can make some of these reads. He's, he's, if you run a split cut, he'll be able to make the read, but he's not the, the best playmaker in the world. And he's somebody that the Lakers can bother by applying ball pressure to. When we talk about the actions that Miami will run, where they're running pin downs or flare screens, um, I would be looking to switch what I can. Uh, if LA's playing big, probably between your point guard, shooting guard, and small forward, you can switch. If LA's playing small, probably between your point guard and your power forward, you can easily switch. You can even switch one through five. Um, but uh, trailing pin downs against everyone but Jimmy Butler, who I would, whom I would go under against, uh, is how I would defend that action. When you go under pin downs, what that will give up is, uh, or I'm sorry, I'll, I'll say this. When you trail a pin down, you're trying to get back pressure. You are more likely to draw an offensive foul. And, and for a team that is running a short rotation with one very critical big man who is also their only rim protector, if you can get some illegal screen calls on Bam and make, make every single handoff and every uh, screen he's setting be a judgment call in the ref's perspective, that is something that would be in LA's uh, favor. So if you're trailing those, you're trying to take away the shot, but what you give up is the curl of that screen in, in the drive to the rim. We'll get into, get into it in a little bit, but Miami doesn't have that many guys who are well-equipped to drive to the rim and get there by themselves and then also finish well at the rim. So I would be less worried about those curls. And just from looking at the tendencies of the, those players, they're less likely to curl. The one guy who will curl is Jimmy Butler. And this is also the guy who we said we would go under his ball screens. We're going to give up that three-pointer if he's going to take that. So go under for him, trail for everybody else. For flare screens, uh, this is something where you can also either try to trail or go under. I would prefer to go under. What that would give up to the offense is, you know, for a flare screen, you're running away from the ball off of the screen. For a pin down, you're running up. You're running towards half court, towards the ball generally, off of the screen. For those flare screens, if you are going under, what the offensive player can do is what we'd call fade off of it, where instead of continuing to run to, we'll say, the corner, they see that you're trying to beat them to that spot, so they'll stop and they'll just back up. Um, Miami doesn't do that often. It's not in their tendencies. Because of that, I would venture to guess that it's not Maybe they just don't have the highest IQ in terms of making those reads. Uh, we said the same things about Portland in the first round with these flares that, hey, go under, they're not going to beat you this way. And they didn't. If we were playing the Warriors and we've got Steph Curry and Clay Thompson out there, they're going to make those reads. So these are these are more difficult situations defending those. But against Miami, I think there is a right option. So trail the pin downs other than for Butler. Go under the flare screens. Switch if if it's an easy switch. Um uh, make there be questions about every single BAM screen that's set as a possible illegal screen. Um, that That's what we're looking at. That is the BAM facilitation. On ball, what you want to be doing is getting as much ball pressure as you can. Get in BAM's face. He is not going to put the ball on the floor and drive by you with, with much uh, volume or success. Um, so that is something that the Lakers can look to like, hey, that's what that gives up. If, if I'm in his face and he's not able to see those reads and make those reads and make those passes, 
all of a sudden, one of these three core offensive engines for Miami suddenly just doesn't work anymore because he's, he's just not able to see the floor. And what you could potentially be giving up is him trying to drive by and get to the rim, which he hasn't shown a tendency or capability to do with consistency. So if we're picking what we're going to take away and what we're going to be more vulnerable to, playing up in his face and then defending those actions, like I said, would be my, my preferred method of attack or defense for the Lakers. Something that we talked about last series, uh, if, if you are to be switching, is try to get out of potential mismatches off ball by using some switching afterwards. We're not going to be seeing posting up of players like Bam Adebayo is not going to be posting up a mismatch, but um, so so that we won't be using a lot of those same tactics that we used last series in terms of you know the fronting with the back help or things like that. But if you do switch a pin down and and then the ball goes to the other side of the court and you're on the weak side and you can just really quickly do a switch back to get to the ideal or or original matchups, that is something the Lakers should be looking to do. That is low risk, but uh, potentially putting them in a better situation for future defense of that same possession. And then another area that I would consider, I mean, it's similar and often with the same facilitator of BAM, but I would consider it its own beast is defending handoffs. Uh, a frequent action Miami runs are those handoffs for their ball handlers and for their shooters. Uh, this might be Jimmy Butler. It might be Goran Dragic, it might be Tyler Hero, it's often Duncan Robinson. Robinson and Hero are the most frequent recipients with Dragic close behind. Uh, but I mean, I've even seen them run this with like Kelly Olenek. There are, uh, often there might be a down screen for that player before they come off the handoff, um, which is what we'd call Chicago action. So it's not just I'm standing around and then I go off the handoff. It's I'm starting maybe in the corner I'm all, my defender's seeing a down screen that he has to fight through, and then he has to get through that handoff. So like we said before, if we can switch that first action and be in better position, go ahead and do that. Uh, since this action allows those players to set their feet and be in better, better rhythm for three-pointers rather than it being like a pull-up three, we definitely don't want to give up the immediate three-pointer. So for Duncan Robinson, like I'm just fine switching. Um, if If Robinson has a mismatch, he's not going to be able to attack that all that well and if bam has a mismatch again he's not somebody who's going to post you up so for that i'm fine switching for Dragic or hero i would look to trail them around the screen and have my big drop uh try to get that back pressure take away that immediate three and drop my big man so if they try to turn the corner suddenly this is literally the same exact situation as a ball screen um, but if there is a down screen included with this action and it's Chicago action rather than just a simple handoff, I would probably switch because the odds are that you're not going to be able to get that back pressure from the original defender. Um, I mean, if you can look to switch that first action, if it's not switchable, then I would uh, just switch the, the final action. But try to keep a guard on the guards for as long as possible and try to go to that drop coverage with the, with the trail over the handoff um, unless you need to just switch it out right so LA has some options there's there's a, f- a first pick for me and then the the second pick what I definitely don't want is some sort of in between in between coverage where we get a catch hedge where the big man is our, our big defenders at the level of the ball um, while we're also going over because that gives up that role to bam 
it takes away the pull-up three, which isn't really close to the primary concern. Um, so I would avoid doing that. And when possible, forcing the player to reject that action would be ideal. So if Duncan Robinson is in the left corner and Bam is at the left wing and du- Duncan Robinson is trying to sprint off that action, if you can, as, as Duncan Robinson's defender, almost top, top lock him where you get on the high side of him, meaning you're, you are closer to half court than he is. And what this gives up are the back cuts, which these guys aren't all that good at executing or, or finishing off of. But top lock that or just jump out and f- try to force him to reject that action. Um, ideally, that that's what you do. Uh, these are, I mean, there are counters to that, but I would have to see Miami run the right counters at some sort of volume to make me try to change my coverage there. So if you can do that, if there's a, def- a down screen before the handoff, you're not going to be able to do that. But what you can do instead is instead of just switching between the, the first defender and the second defender before you get to the handoff action, what you can have is switch, but have that second defender be the one who jumps out to reject you being able reject Duncan Robinson from being able to go off that handoff. Um, so, so while, I don't know, we'll say Tom is on Duncan Robinson, while he's being screened by my guy, I am now Duncan Robinson's new defender, and I'm going to jump out and force him to reject that handoff if possible. And then if, if he does reject it, we'll see if we can recover. If not, we're fine switching that. And then when the screens are set by Iguodala or Jay Crowder, I'd probably switch. And again, this is a, a Laker personnel thing. If, if it's an easy switch, just go ahead and do it. Um, if, if we have KCP and Alex Caruso in the action, switch, no problem. If we have Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo in the action, those are two very different defenders and maybe we're less willing to switch, but just based on the situation Miami puts you in, and sometimes they do a good job of compromising your, your defensive capabilities and your options, you may have to switch. Again, this isn't a team that is the best isolating. Um, for the most part, I'm not scared of a lot of these isolation attackers. Uh, so if you can deny passes, you can get ball pressure on BAM, you can try to give up the back cut with your coverages but have the ball pressure on bam that he's not able to make those passes accurately then you're in pretty good shape something that uh going off of this that we often see from miami in sideline out of bounds situations is the the original inbound passer will pass to bam at like the wing and then he will run off of a back screen from another player often goran dragic or tyler hero and then hero or dragic immediately after setting that back screen will run off a dribble handoff from Bam. That is a tough action to defend because it's one thing after another. I'd probably switch the first action um, and and then look to uh, do, defend the dribble handoffs the same way that we've just covered. Another way that I'd look to defend this is have the inbounders man, who is often Jimmy Butler, have that guy, I don't know, it might be LeBron, go double team Bam Adebayo before the ball gets inbounded. Try to take away that initial pass because um, if that pass isn't going there, it's it's you you force Miami to be going to the second, third, and fourth options on that play to try to continue running what they want to originally run. Uh, the reason this is a tougher action to defend is because getting that switch and having Jimmy Butler on a mismatch isn't ideal. Um, so if you recognize Miami starting in the the same alignment that I'll I'll put a diagram up for, this is probably what's coming. So. 
maybe start with a bigger guy on Butler, or I'm sorry, on whoever's going to be setting that back screen. So if you do switch, you're still in a, in a fine position. And if they don't go to this play, try to use that off-ball switching to, to recover and get back to a better situation. We saw Boston try to do some of this where they'd hide Kemba Walker, and Miami did a good job of trying to counter that and, and using different variations of this play. But I would rather need Miami to be on the same page and try to execute the right counter to get to the same result as if we just tried to do nothing about this. So force them to go to second, third, and fourth options. See if you can just take away that play altogether. Um, but that is something that we should expect to see and often may end up with a shot off of the handoff or uh, Bam rolling off of the handoff or uh, Jimmy Butler isolating in the post against like Rajon Rondo or KCP, who are probably the, the two guys that I wouldn't feel good about them attacking in the post. Pretty much anybody else, I, I would feel okay. But those are the two guys that would probably be pretty plus expected value uh, situations for Miami. And one last thing before we get into Miami's personnel a little bit is I, I just want to applaud their offense and their scheme. This is a team that from a personnel standpoint, they, they have weaknesses. But from a scheme standpoint, they do a good job shielding those players from what I would normally want to do um, and and so sort of compromising what you're able to do as a defense and they've shown the ability to counter um, and this offense is just very well designed and it's also very well executed uh, often when let's say the Lakers they might run an action they might run a pick and roll or or a handoff or something after they do that if they don't score off it immediately the Lakers will go to ISO Miami runs an action then they'll run another action, and then another action, and then another one until they run out of time. So in that way, they constantly pressure the defense. You can't fall asleep. You can't say, all right, I defended the first Duncan Robinson handoff. I'm done for this possession. Because then he'll pass it right back to Bam and then run another one going the other way. So being alert, being on the same page uh, is, is going to be so key on defense. But just I'm going to applaud Miami out front because they are going to pressure the Laker defense more than we've seen other any other team so far um just just in terms of constantly just persistently running more actions and challenging the Lakers and forcing good communication so individual poor defenders to the Lakers aren't going to be attacked from like an ISO standpoint but if you have somebody out there like Markeith Morris who might be falling asleep and not executing the game plan the right way which is something we've seen for three rounds uh, that is the type of guy that they'll run actions at and, and suddenly they're getting open shots because he's not running the right screen coverage or switching when he needs to switch or doing a lazy switch or different things like that. So getting to personnel, we're going to pretty much cover it all. I went through our player profiles on B-Ball Index. We have a profile for every single NBA player and you can see all of their data, like literally hundreds of data points organized in different categories, contextualized. I never need to remember like what a good catch and shoot three-point number is or what a good, I don't know, corner three-point percentage is because we have all these numbers with percentiles and then letter, letter grades as well. So this helped me do a really quick scouting report. Uh, if you buy our $5 data and tools package or I believe it's 55 a year, something like that, 50 a year data and tools package, you can get the same info and, and be able to do that same scouting. And you can just learn so much. Like there's so much in that package that I can't even get to just because there's so many players, like 500 players. Um, but anyway, 
using that data, combining that with the film I have, combining that with what we know about Miami's scheme, let's talk a little bit about their personnel. And they, last series, shortened their rotation to an eight-man lineup that was more actually like seven and a half guys. I'm not sure exactly what that'll look like this series, so we're just going to cover pretty much everybody, um, obviously with more time and, and effort spent on some of the key players, but we're still going to cover guys like Kelly Linick and, and Myers Leonard, um, Kendrick Nunn, guys who weren't playing in like game six or seven of last series. So the first guy we're going to look at is Goran Dragic. I didn't order these in any real smart way, but some of the more important guys are at the top. Actually, I think I may have done this by points per game in the playoffs. So Goran Dragic, some of the key areas we need to be aware of with him are his playmaking, his shooting. He's a good one-on-one player. He's great at getting to and finishing at the rim. Um, a lot of different things. Dragic, from a playmaking standpoint, is their true top playmaker in terms of being able to make just about all the passes, attack on high volume, and generate high-quality looks for his teammates. The one weakness in his passing, his playmaking profile on our um, on our player profiles is that he is pretty prone to turning over the ball and his passing creation efficiency metric that we have that this offseason we will dig into all of these metrics, what they say about the Lakers, all that stuff. But for now, just know that it is looking at how long he's turn- he's holding onto the ball in relation to what he's uh, creating for teammates and-, and how much he's turning the ball over from bad passes in relation to uh, generate generating offense for his teammates. So he can make the passes. He'll make high volumes of passes. They're generally high-quality passes, high-quality areas that the-, the players are receiving these passes. So like corner threes or catching at the rim or attacking the rim, things like that. Um, but he is prone to turning the ball over. If we run that drop coverage and he's trying to make those lob passes, that's going to result in more turnovers than, than we otherwise would see. From a shooting standpoint, he is an elite three-point shooter that has good percentages. So if you're just looking at three-point three point percentage for you to define three-point shooting, he's going to show up as like a good guy, a good shooter, but he's truly an elite shooter because he has elite difficulty that he is putting up those good percentages on. So don't overlook him there, even if his, his three-point percentages are like in the B range across the board. His data actually shows him as an okay on-ball defender, but really weak off-ball, but he's actually been quite hidden. Um, Miami will put him on non-shooters, non-scorers when they can, uh, despite him having a point-of-attack defensive role. Um, and we see that in the data. If, if you look at uh, who he's matching up for on the other team and how important they are to the offense and, and use that to come up with a matchup difficulty metric as we have, of the 72 defenders this year, that were categorized as point-of-attack defenders that have played 500-plus minutes on the season, he has had the fifth-easiest matchup difficulty. So what that means for this season, or this series, is that we may see him defending someone like Danny Green. Uh, or, or even, I mean, honestly, this is a much better series for his defense from a play-to-play standpoint than Boston was because LA doesn't have, uh, I mean, maybe not as much Boston as well. They're more wings, but our guards aren't going to be going at Goran Dragic. It's going to be more them trying to keep him away from LeBron. Um, When they play their 2-3 zone, which we'll talk about, he is often on the back line uh, at one of the wings because they feel that is one of the positions that is easier for them to hide poor defenders. And instead of having to defend at the top and defending left or right, 
you have a baseline to, to help you on one side and then middle on the other side, which is into more help. So they try to do what they can to hide him. He is a weak perimeter defender that has uh, deceptively okay uh, data, um, but still a really poor off-ball defender and, and somebody LA can go at. Like we said earlier, he's a good one-on-one scorer, especially against mismatches. Overall, he's okay. Um, from a finishing standpoint, we have uh, a getting-to-the-rim metric at B-Ball Index that looks at your self-created opportunities and the percentage of your opportunities at the rim that are self-created. Um, just to, to look at how well you are actually able to get there. So someone like Dragic, who's often creating his own shot at the rim, grades out excellently, but someone like, I don't know, Thomas Bryant, that we know as Laker fans, who is more just kind of hanging out and then catching the ball and then finishing plays, he doesn't grade out well in this metric. Or like a, a Vita Zubats. Like those are finishers. This metric looks at if you're able to create those shots. So Dragic is an excellent player at getting to the rim, but once he's there and we have a metric that looks at his finishing at the rim relative to his uh, his estimated shot quality or difficulty at the rim, he's more of an average finisher. Um, but just getting there at high volume is, is something that is very damaging um, if you're the defense and, and you want to try to keep him away from that. He's also a guy that can score in bunches, and uh, just like NBA 2K, we have a badge system at B-Ball Index, and the microwave badge that we has that we have uh, has him in the gold category. So he's in that top tier of guys that just can come out and just score in bunches. Next, we will talk about Jimmy Butler. Butler is another absolutely critical player for uh, Miami. He is a playmaking shot creator on offense, according to his offensive archetype. And then on defense, he is a wing stopper. He isn't a good three-point shooter, which is what we've talked about, but on low volume, he has fared well so far in the playoffs, but we're if we're game planning for him, we're not really going to respect that. We're going to make him beat us by shooting threes. And and it's not just, we can't just say, oh, like we're going to take away the rim or we're going to not let him shoot threes or make him shoot threes. You can say those things. The way this materializes is by going under those pin downs, going under those flare screens, uh, going under his ball screens. Those are the types of things that we do to try to take away that that aspect of his game. And, and tried to point him more in the direction of needing to settle for jumpers. On defense, he takes on really tough uh, matchups by that same matchup difficulty metric, and he is really versatile. Um, he's strong defending ball screens. He's an elite passing lane defense guy. Um, he'll get deflections. He'll, he'll pick off passes and get steals that way. On ball, he's good, but he's still someone that I think LeBron can, can put a little bit of work in against. Uh, he's on offense, a good cutter. He gets to the rim very well as a driver. He'll draw a lot of fouls driving. Uh, he's a good but not great finisher at the rim. Um, but this is one of the guys that is going to cut. He's going to put pressure on the rim. He's going to drive. And he's also a very good, legitimate playmaker just across the board. Not elite in every one of our categories, but really, really good. Like A- minus to A range for just about every metric we have in our playmaking uh, section on, on his profile. He's also an elite rebounder in terms of our metric that looks at his rebounding success rate uh, data um, relative to what we would expect based on, you know, how far is he from the rim? What percentage of those opportunities are contested? How often do his like teammates box out? Little things like that can help us set a baseline and say, hey, he should be pulling in, I don't know, 30% of his offensive rebounds or 20% or 40% or 60% or whatever. Same thing on defense. 
he even though his raw numbers aren't eye-popping from a rebounding standpoint, his success rate plus minus data on both ends of the court is just absolutely elite. So that is something to keep an eye out for. And I think for right now, that's what we'll talk about for Jimmy. For Bam, Bam, like we said earlier, he's leading Miami in assists for the playoffs. But like we mentioned, it's it's mostly on those easier passes, um, guys running at him and him handing the ball off or, or making just mostly easier passes. He'll make some harder passes, but he has a D-plus passing versatility metric and a C passing creation quality metric value in his player profile for a reason. He's not generating high-quality scoring looks it's just a matter of really high volume of them using him as a facilitator and him making easier passes resulting in a lot more assists in the six games that uh, Miami played against Boston Bam had zero short roll assists so if we're playing drop coverage and we ask him to go be a high volume short roll assist man I anticipate we'll see similar success for the Lakers like we saw uh, against Nurkic in the first round or like Plumlee in that last round where they weren't scoring well, um, they were making poor decisions, they were turning the ball over and getting the Lakers runouts on the other end. Bam's post game is almost non-existent, so that's a huge benefit for LA and that makes me much more willing to switch actions. Um, you need to worry about Bam as a lob threat and as a, an offensive rebounder, um, but not as a shooter not as a somebody who's going to put the ball in the court. Um, Bam in the post is insanely one-handed. He's almost always turning to his right shoulder pretty much no matter which block he's on. So that makes him, when he does post up infrequently, it makes your job a lot easier knowing that he has a very clear proclivity to go to shooting with his right hand. Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, he hasn't even been a good cutter. As long as and, and he's at, he's been an average role man too. As long as you can keep him from catching lobs, or from being an unimpeded facilitator, this is a guy whose value goes down a bit. Um, you you can't catch hedge, or he's going to get those lobs. But if as long as you're drop, playing drop coverage, and on ball when he's facilitating, you're getting in his face. You're in pretty good shape against him. Um, when he is pressured and tries to put them on the floor, like if you go on his. If you go to NBA dots, uh, what is it? NBA.com slash stats and you go to their player index, you pick Bam, you go to his page, you can click on his turnovers and go watch every one of his turnovers from the playoffs. A lot of them are, he's trying to put the ball on the court and the ball on the floor and he's traveling, he's double dribbling, he's committing really bad, blatant charges, he's throwing the ball away, he's not scoring well on drives. This is a guy who, if you overplay him, on and off ball, so uh, we t- we didn't talk about this earlier, but if you if you overplay him off ball and try to deny him from getting those entry passes, so Miami can't even get into their sets and can't run those handoffs, that's another way to defend him. On ball, you pressure him, make him put the ball on the floor, and suddenly this this top facilitator turns into a guy who's turnover prone, and and he's been one of the more turnover prone guys on drives for the playoffs as a whole. So putting pressure on him. Keeping him from catching lobs is is going to take away a lot of what Bam Adebayo does, and the Lakers have the personnel to be able to go do that. Next, we're going to look at Tyler Hero, who comes off the bench, but he he generally plays all or, or almost all of the second and fourth quarters, as well as the second half of the first and third quarters. He plays a lot. Um, he's another guy who we can go at uh, for for his poor defense. His 
on-ball defense is also okay, but it's he's another guy that Miami hides. His off-ball defense is awful. He has faced the fourth easiest matchup difficulty versus that same group of 72 point of attack defenders that played 500 minutes this year that we talked about with Dragic earlier. So of those 72 guys, the point of attack defenders on Miami were hidden fourth and fifth most of all of them. Um, this is another guy that you'll see on the back line of their zone trying to trying to hide him. His defensive impact has been quite poor overall and in the playoffs. He's not a good playmaker. He's not a good cutter. He's not a good one-on-one player. He's not a good rebounder. He's not good at getting to or finishing at the rim. Um, This is someone who has a lot of weaknesses, but he is a good three-point shooter. He can get hot from mid-range. He's another guy who has that uh, microwave badge. His is a silver. Um, His offense can really come and go at times. Uh, Because he's much more of a three-point and mid-range guy, his offense can come in bunches and be there and I mean we we saw what he could do in that last round in what game four game five I think it was game four where he put up a bunch of points but he can also just be non-existent which we also saw that series just with how he likes to attack and what he's good at what he's not good at if we look at his three-point shooting he has an a grade percentage on catch and shoot threes but a c plus grade on his pull-up three-point percentage shooting around 33 percent so run him off the line turn him into trying to be a playmaker, attacking off the dribble, and you're also in a, in a pretty good position with him. Um, he'll take deeper threes, which is good to be aware of. Um, for the playoffs as a whole, this is a guy whose defensive impact has been so poor that his PIPM, his player impact plus minus, has him dead last among key players in overall impact. Uh, it's There's upside here with him, and I think he has a bright future. Right now, he's good at a couple things. He's poor at, at more than a couple of things. If you can overplay him, try to make him a cutter, try to make him a playmaker, force him to be a one-on-one guy if we are conceding switches, that that is something I'm okay with. The next player that we'll talk about is Jay Crowder, who is another guy who, if you let him do what he does, he can be a plus guy for, for Miami. If you don't, and, and you pressure him a little bit more, or even if you don't, like this is a guy who actually has been... Miami's uh, least impactful player, just if you look at his on-off uh, like net rating, or the, the team's net rating with him on the court versus off the court, Miami's been like 11 points per 100 possessions worse with him on the court than off the court during the playoffs. He has some very clear weaknesses. The The idea of Drake Jay Crowder is a versatile defender, which we actually have a me- metric for. He has an A- minus there in terms of how often he's defending you know, point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. Um, he's a great passing lane defender. He's good defending cutters on ball and in ball screens. He can be exposed. This is somebody that Rajon Rondo can drive by. This is somebody that LeBron James should look to attack. This is somebody who is a shorter guy that might be matched up on, uh, Anthony Davis. And I mean, he has a good lower low center of gravity, but AD isn't trying to back you down. AD is going to rise over you, shoot over you. And in some of those AD shots are going to look at like practice shots at times against him potentially. So, as a post defender, as an on-ball defender, this is somebody we can go after. He's not a playmaker. He's not a cutter. He's by no means a rim protector. He's not a roll man. He's not somebody who's going to get to or score well at the rim. He's not a post player. Um, I mean, he's a very siloed player in terms of his skill set with several different flaws um, that is out there for his defense, for his scrappy play. Uh, if, if you look at some of that what might fit into scrappy play. He has an A-loose ball recovery rate, so if, if they're loose balls, he's going to go get them. 
he has a B passing lane defensive metric, so he's getting deflections. He's getting those off-ball interception steals. Um, but even that three-point shooting, uh, it, it like we said earlier, it had been really poor, and then it was really hot for a bit, and it, now it's cooled off. If it is cooled off and you can play him like he played on the regular season, this is somebody that you can help off of in, in even more take away those BAM rolls or drives by Dragic. Um, if, if at the end of the day, Miami is living or dying by Jay Crowder corner threes, that's not the worst. I mean, you can do worse if you're picking how Miami's going to beat you. Jimmy Butler threes, Jay Crowder threes. Um, if, he sh- if he's hot again, then this offense is given a boost. But this isn't somebody I'm incredibly worried about. He's somebody that defensively we can go after. Um, we can switch a lot of the action that he's a part of. Uh, and he is somebody that will switch a lot of the ball screens that he's a part of, which means that LA can go at him with AD in the post or LeBron on the perimeter, even like Rajon Rondo or Kyle Kuzma off the dribble. The next guy we'll look at is Duncan Robinson, who <laughs> he's a shooter. This guy has a gold catch and shoot badge, a gold corners three specialist badge, a gold dead eye badge, which means he's hitting threes while contested really well. Um, his offensive archetype is as an off-screen shooter, which is the third. Uh, it's it's kind of, he's like the the Charizard of the what do you have Charmander and I forget the middle Charmeleon or something like that. Um, he's the most evolved of the shooters. You have stationary shooters, then you have movement shooters who are able to kind of move side to side and and be running into their their shooting opportunities, and then you have off-screen shooters. Duncan Robinson is an off-screen shooter. He is an elite catch-and-shoot guy, but and also mostly a catch-and-shoot guy, but he's also good on pull-ups. But if you do want him shooting, or if you are giving up shots, you want him putting the ball on the floor before he does. And if he does drive, he's driving to pass. He passes out on his drives on the season more than 93% of players. And he's also not really passing. Like, in the data where we look at pass-outs relative to how often he's actually getting assists from those pass-outs, he doesn't show up as a guy who's breaking down the defense and then finding the open guy and, and creating offense. He profiles as somebody who's passing out because he needs to, because he can't create for himself, and he's not creating for teammates. He has a very low relative assist percentage compared to his pass out percentage, which is it's always going to be lower, but when we contextualize it and look at the percentiles, it is not in the direction you want it to look. He's rarely fading or curling off-ball screens, so you can trail his pin-downs, you can go under his flare screens with confidence, knowing that he probably won't counter those with consistency. Um, he's not a playmaker. If we look at his passing versatility, it tells us that he's only making the easiest of passes. Uh, his passing creation volume is lower than 99% of players. This is not not a, a guy getting to the rim. It's not a guy creating offense for others. Um, he's a decent rebounder. I mean, he's 6'7". Uh, which we forget at times because he's just often running around on the perimeter, but he's a very weak on-ball defender that LA should definitely look to target. And if we defend those handoffs the right way and, and don't give him just the easiest of passes out of those and we're defending his off-screen actions correctly and we're not needing to collapse the defense on ball screens and then give him open threes, this is somebody that LA can mitigate the impact of a little bit. Those are, those are a lot of the main guys. Now let's take a look at Kelly Olenek, who was benched later in the series versus Boston because whenever he did play, Miami's lineups are just getting killed. Um, he's a stretch big, he's a good shooter, but just horrific as a rebounder. He doesn't have any inside game or any playmaking. 
Um, he's just a dreadful post defender. Uh, he's a decent rim help defender, but just horribly slow-footed and has trouble closing out. So you can bully him inside. You can drive by him outside. You can beat him on the boards. Um, if he does play, he's somebody Miami will run off of handoffs and other actions occasionally as a shooter. So you just can't, if you have, I don't know, JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard on him, you can't fall asleep and just kind of sink into the paint if he's getting a handoff or something like that, because he'll take that shot. We're not going to talk too much about Olenek because I don't even know if he'll play. I don't think this is a good series for him, but if he does play, it's because he's an okay off-ball potential rim protector. But I mean, versus what the Lakers have, it's not not ideal, um, and he is a stretch big. So there's an option, but he's just so weak defensively, and he doesn't add the the playmaking um, that I struggle to see him playing big minutes in the series if it's in, you know, as long as there isn't like foul trouble or something. Kendrick Nunn is another guy that has fallen out of the rotation as that Boston series went on. He is talented, and if we look at his player profile, his shooting looks good. His off-ball movement looks good. His finishing looks good. His playmaking data is good. He's not a 1v1 scorer. He's really, really poor on-ball defender. Um, and he's a guy that, from like an IQ and tendency standpoint, can really be lacking at times and make Miami fans really frustrated. He makes his teammates frustrated. Um, <laughs> I was looking through his clips. Just show me the possessions he was on court for for games that he played in the series. And like, way more often than than for other guys he's taking just these crazy shots that are outside of what Boston or I'm sorry outside of what Miami wants to be doing offensively and you could see his teammates visibly frustrated with him so it's somebody that if he gives you good minutes he can give you good minutes because he has the talent too but in if if his if he succumbs to his own tendencies and IQ he can be a negative for Miami and he's just such a poor on-ball defender that Whenever he's out there, you want to be punishing Miami for those minutes that he plays. Try to make him a playmaker. Try to deny passes to other players. Make him be the one that needs to create things. And and when he's on defense, go right at him. All right. Let's see. Andre Iguodala. So Andre Iguodala is a little bit older than, than when we saw him in the finals against LeBron before. He is still a good passer, especially within his role. He's a higher volume, lower quality playmaker within his role Within his role these days. Um, he's another guy we'll see running those handoffs. He's a decent perimeter shooter. Um, not somebody that I'll be driving. Not, not, he's not somebody that'll be driving and, and finishing at the rim. Uh, offensively, we talked about those different shooter archetypes before. He is on the bottom of that totem pole at this point in, this, in his career where he is a stationary shooter on offense. So offensively he's usually not part of the actions unless he's making a simple pass from like a handoff or something he's going to be standing in the corners standing at the wings standing at the top of the key still a very high iq guy um but offensively that's his role on defense he grades out as a wing stopper based off of what he is asked to do and when it comes to his perimeter defense he's good he's not his old self he's not an elite guy by any means um i wouldn't even say he might he might be the best perimeter defender that Miami has, but he's okay. He's you you could do a lot worse. If if LA is looking to attack somebody, he wouldn't be my top pick. But if LeBron has to go at him, I'm okay with that. He's still really really strong playing passing lanes, so that's something to be aware of. Um, he's I mean he's not an elite wing stopper anymore, but his awesome IQ, his great off ball defense, he's very versatile. 
overall, all of that makes his defensive impact pretty strong. So he he is able to provide the impact, um, but he does have diminished on-ball defense if you did want to go at him in those ways, and in L.A. may be equipped to do that. Now we'll talk about Derek Jones Jr., who we, you may remember from uh, some dunk contests. This is a guy who is a very highly active defender. He's a great rebounder. Um, he he may be in the running for the team's best perimeter defender, potentially, um, but he's not an offensive weapon, uh, except for with, with his athleticism here and there. His impact data shows him being a big negative on offense, but just an average guy on defense. He's somebody that you can really help off of. So when he is out there, I'm thrilled from a Laker perspective because he's so easy to game plan against, um, which leads to him being benched often in these situations where in the regular season, there's less of that granular game planning and less of those tactics. But in this series, if he is out there, it makes Ellie's life really, really easy on defense or at least much easier on defense. And that'll be something to monitor. But if he is out there, it'll be for his defense and, and, on a team that has a number of poor perimeter defenders, if they are forced to play any man defense, maybe we see some of him, but I don't anticipate seeing much of him at all. We only have two guys left. The next one is Myers Leonard, who is a good post defender, which may be the reason we see some of him this series, uh, because Miami isn't very, they don't have a lot of depth with their bigs, and Olenek is not a good post defender, so Myers Leonard might be that guy that comes in. He is not versatile. He won't switch. So if he's out there, run him in some ball screens, and, and we're going to be getting drop coverage. Um, he is somebody that, with that drop coverage, we'll be able to run Anthony Davis pick and pops with. LeBron can try to get in the pain and, and see what he can do to uh, attack him downhill. Um, he, he is not a good rebounder. He's not a good playmaker. He's a floor-stretching big that can contest shots at the rim, and he will, but he's not all that successful at doing so as a a rim protector if we do see some of him it's probably because of one of two things either foul trouble or because Miami can't handle LA's post offense and is willing to live with his poor perimeter defense and the lack of versatility he has in exchange for floor spacing and just some post defense so that's Myers Leonard again we'll dig into these guys deeper if if we see that they're going to play more but for now I think that's what you'd want to know the last guy we'll look at is Solomon Hill, who has only played three games during the playoffs, but they happen to be the most recent three games, um, only for about five minutes each. Offensively, he literally hasn't even had a single shot, turnover, or trip to the free throw line. Um, he's played the four or the five. He's not a good defensive rebounder or rim protector. He's pretty much out there to just to be a, a, a more of a perimeter big. He can You can switch actions with him, and he can do what he can to stay in front. Um, as long as anyone but Markeith Morris is out there. Uh, We'd like to be taking advantage of him on the boards or in the post. Um, Offensively, just he's a stationary shooter. He's, he's out there to just stand in the corner Uh, on ball. You can get up in his face. If he does get the ball off ball, if you want to, you can overplay him. If you want to deny that, try to force him to be a cutter. Um, I don't know. There's not a whole lot more that I'd, I'd feel important. I feel is important to share right now. Um, the reason he played last series over Leonard and Olenek was because of his perimeter defense. If, but, but if you think about that, I think that makes sense for what Miami faced in Boston and what Boston brings in this series. I would see this more as a Myers Leonard series than a Solomon Hill series, potentially, um, especially if LA is playing big. So that is someone 
that uh, we might see more Leonard, less Hill than, than we have in the past. But either way, we may not see a, a ton of these guys. In that eight-man rotation that Miami had been running the past couple games, it was really seven men plus five minutes of Solomon Hill. So we covered the main guys. We're talking Dragic, Bam, Hero, Butler, uh, Iguodala, and who am I forgetting? Crowder. Th- those those are the guys. And Oh, and Duncan Robinson. Those are the guys that you really want to be up to speed on, and I think we've done a good job at that. If we just look at Miami as a team in a couple different areas, looking at their three-point shot making. So this is evaluating their perimeter shooting relative to their degree of difficulty. Duncan Robinson literally is the number one three-point shot maker. And overall, in our perimeter shooting talent grade, he is number one as well. Um, He's not creating his own shot all that much. And like we said, he's better catching and shooting than off the dribble. But he's as good as it's going to get in terms of just a guy you pass to and he he makes a three. Olenek has an A grade in three-point shot making. Hero has an A grade. Dragic has an A grade. Myers Leonard has an A minus. Uh, Solomon Hill and Andre Iguodala have B pluses. Um, Iguodala's perimeter shooting data has actually looked worse the past five seasons as opposed to this year. And he and Crowder are two guys that maybe it's Miami's great uh, shooting coach who I've had numerous coaches and other people reach out to me and say, like, this guy's incredible. Or we may be seeing a little bit of, of the hot and cold streaks from Crowder, but Iguodala shot better this year. Um, Bam, not a not a three-point shooter. Jimmy Butler has not been a good three-point shooter. Crowder has been a very poor three-point shooter on the year, except for the, the, that hot streak. So it's hard to figure out what to make of him. Derek Jones uh, Jr., not a good three-point shooter. Um, if we look at getting to and finishing at the rim, Kendrick Nunn and Jimmy Butler are the only two guys that really pressure the rim often that also finish really well at the rim. Dragic gets the, he has an A- minus at getting to the rim, but his finishing at the rim is a C. Um, Hero has a B getting to the rim, D finishing at the rim, um, and then pretty much nobody else on this team gets to the rim. So that's that's what we're looking at in some of our key uh, talent areas. Um, another thing I think we can take a look at if we talk about the Laker defense against Miami's offense is after looking through the strengths and the weaknesses in the data and looking at the film, I was like, man, running a 3-2 zone might make a lot of sense against Miami. We might be focusing on, people might be focusing on the wrong zone this series. From a personnel standpoint, with what they're good at and what they can't do, from the fact that they run a five-out alignment a lot of the time, and with the weaknesses of this roster in terms of driving and cutting and all of those different things, playmaking, this might be a team that we can zone up zone up against and, and not a two three I wouldn't run a two three or you could run a two three but the three two is really the zone that plays much better into the situation and hey you know what LA has run a three two zone during these playoffs and oh Miami has been the fifth least efficient on the season fifth least efficient team on the season attacking zones just in general and I went through those clips and I found the teams that played two three that Miami wasn't great at and then the 3-2, who Miami was even worse at attacking. And what do you know? Indiana, late in that series, probably too late in that series, went to a 3-2 zone against Miami in two different games that they used it, and the Heat just couldn't score on it. They were scoring 0.65 points per possession, which is dreadful. Um, and, and, I mean, 
looking at a sample of a couple dozen possessions is one thing from a result standpoint, but just in terms of looking at how they attacked it, it wasn't all that smart. And it wasn't like that's the first time they've seen it either. Brooklyn has run this against them. And Miami has really, really struggled to to attack it the right way. So from an X's and O's standpoint, we know that Spolstra and his staff hasn't, haven't been good on the year attacking zones, specifically against the 3-2. They've been really poor. And it matches what LA's personnel is good at. It matches what uh, Miami runs schematically. It takes away the any opportunities for, like, it, it'll be a much better uh, setup to run for the Lakers to uh, take advantages of the weaknesses that Miami has. Um, just just the fact that, that Miami hasn't shown that they know how to attack it just makes me feel like it, it, it would definitely be something I'd use in game one. And if they are prepared for it, go ahead, stop. If they're not prepared for it, this might be something we see for multiple games until Miami can show that they can attack it. Because if you can run that zone and you can take away a lot of the actions that Miami runs and also prevent any opportunity for them to get your guards on the inside or get your bigs on the outside, this makes it way easier to play JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. Um, This makes it way easier to play someone like Rajon Rondo, who we've seen in man-to-man defense has struggled, but in the zone defense, he can be like a quarterback of that, and he's more active, he's more aggressive, he knows he has guys behind him to help. Um, it's I think it's really smart. When I was looking at how I'd want to defend Bam as somebody who I want to get up in his face, I know he, he doesn't like putting the ball on the floor, but if he does, I want to be going for steals. Um, but I don't want to have my rim protection away from the rim and, and open up the cuts to the rim that we might see if we're switching those off-ball actions. Well, playing zone lets you keep guards on Bam on the perimeter. Pestering him, if he puts the ball on the floor, probably going to turn it over. Um, really impacting those playmaking looks by getting in his face. That That is something that's really interesting to me. Miami only has one player uh, in the rotation in, in Jimmy Butler that has B or better grades for both our getting to rim and finishing at rim metrics at B-ball index. So they don't really have the personnel to try to drive through it. They haven't run the right plays against it. They have some three-point shooting, but unlike a 2-3 zone where they can just easily overload specific parts and get threes off, against a 3-2, lining up against a five-out offense, that's almost like a perfect natural fit. This neutralizes Dragic's playmaking somewhat and plays into him having low passing creation efficiency. We're going to be throwing looks at him that he struggled with and having him probably turn the ball over more than he normally does, which in those opportunities has been pretty high. Hero and Iguodala have also had poor passing creation efficiency numbers. So making, I mean, if three of those seven guys that they play, we know we might be able to turn over a fourth of those seven guys and bam, we know we're going to take away lobs from, we know we're going to pester where we might get turnovers from him. This is something that I can see just naturally being a really obvious answer to me. And, and then looking at the fact that Miami hasn't, you know, run the right plays against it makes it even easier. Now, if we run it in game one or game two and Miami attacks it the right way, they attack it the way that Denver has, um, which, you know, the personnel isn't quite the same, but if they attack it the right ways, you get away from it, you tried it, it didn't work, that's fine. But if they don't attack it right, and there's a lot hinting at the fact that they might not attack it well, both with their, their X's and O's and their personnel, this is a huge, huge find for the Lakers. So I, I say all this to say that LA, just in general, people might not be focusing on the right zone. 
LA knows how to attack a 2-3 zone. They have the personnel to attack a 2-3 zone. And this 3-2 zone would allow them to play whatever lineups they want, keep their bigs out there without needing to be attacked on the perimeter, keep our elite uh, rebounding edge. Um, you know, last se- last series, the value was on-ball defending Jokic. This series, it'll be defending lobs to the rim and defending the rim on drives and, and just killing Miami on the boards. And all of this, to me, looks like a recipe for one-and-done possessions, a lot of turnovers and runouts, and efficient, inefficient offense more from the perimeter fight for Miami that can can go hot at times but can be really cold. So I expect to see some of that. I really, really hope that the Lakers looked at that Indiana film because there's a lot the Pacers can't do or didn't do, but this was one thing that they tried a little bit too late that worked really well. And it's something that in the other film on the year – is something that looks like it'll it'll be very favorable for the Lakers. So we have gone, man, how long have we gone? We've gone an hour and 20 minutes only talking about defending Miami. Now let's talk about the Lakers' offense. Um, from a matchup standpoint, we talked about Hero, Dragic, Robinson. Those are all weak defenders. Um, we're probably going to see guys like them guarding guys like Danny Green or KCP, uh, Alex Caruso, Rajon Rondo. When LA goes small, Expect to see Bam on AD and then either Crowder or Butler on LeBron. When LA plays big, we'll probably see Bam on McGee or Howard, Crowder on AD and Butler on LeBron. They could also flip these around a little bit um, and and switch the bigs and put Crowder on uh, those lob threats, which I don't know if they'd want to do. They can also try to put Butler on McGee or Howard and Bam on AD and Crowder on LeBron, potentially. I don't know. That would be easy for us to attack as long as we're purposeful about it. That's all from a man-to-man standpoint. Attacking man-to-man, we've talked about how they have numerous weak defenders that we can target in the post. We can target in the pick and roll. Um, but let's talk about the zone because Miami runs a 2-3 zone that they've had a lot of success with, success with and it's accomplished them being able to keep their one rim protector at the rim, which if they're not playing zone, we would really easily be able to draw Bam out, have to defend AD on the post or AD on the perimeter, and then all of a sudden it is just wide open la- attack the lane time for LeBron. In that 2 3 zone, you keep him at the rim, you keep their weaker perimeter defenders on the back line on the wings, and it, it, it plays more into it, it's for honestly the zones from this perspective, uh, for, from my perspective. For LA, if they go to that 3-2 zone, it would be a proactive, aggressive move. For Miami, this 2-3 zone is a reactive, defensive, this is what we need to do. If you beat this zone and Miami goes to man, this series this series may be over. If the Lakers zone doesn't work and they have to go to man, they're, they're probably okay. But if they get a bunch of value by playing that zone, that's just a huge plus that a lot of people aren't anticipating. In terms of attacking the 2-3 zone, if you put two uh, two guards at the top of it to match up with their two, and then you have your your two bigs at the blocks, and then you have a baseline runner that can create confusion. You can look to seal off defenders, get inside them, and, and throw lobs. Um, especially because we know the the backline defenders for Miami are usually their smaller, weaker guys. Um, getting some high low action where you get eighty at the the high post, um, and we've seen the Lakers do this against Miami this year, and we've seen them do it against other two three zones where. You get the ball to AD at the high post because he's freaking ginormous and a good playmaker. You should be able to just throw that ball up to him, have him grab it without turning it over. And then 
if Bam in the middle goes up to guard him and you have Dwight or McGee lurking in one of the dunker spots, they just run up for a lob. And Tyler Hero's not stopping that. Duncan Robinson's not stopping that. Goran Dragic isn't stopping that. That's easy offense. Um, if you don't have Bam take AD, he just attacks the rim and drives the rim because the wings aren't going to take him. It would have to be one of the frontline defenders trying to get around him. So as long as you have that two-guard front and occupy both of those frontline defenders and get AD in the middle, attacking from there is a, a good way to attack. We talked about the baseline uh, runners. You might be able to get open threes or seals for lobs. Um, you can run... Man, what, I'm looking at my notes. I'm trying to remember these plays because I, I came up with plays like three or four days ago just at like one in the morning at night, waking up, typing something up, and then, and then going back to bed. Uh, logo ball screens where you dribble... Oh, okay, right. So if you set a ball screen for, let's say, LeBron at the right, I don't know, a little bit outside the block. And LeBron then dribbles towards the middle of the floor rather than right at the rim. And you do draw Bam up towards him. Then you get AD with inside position on the wing defender looking for a lob. So that should be easy, good offense. You can run, uh, we see a lot of teams run double flares where they'll put the ball on like the left side of the court and then they'll have a couple players like as the defense moves with the ball, you go stand in the way of those defenders so they can't recover back out to the right corner and then you get a shooter over there. So you run those pin in flares and just use the ball movement and the normal defensive rotations against Miami. Boston screened the zone really well. They created 3v2 situations. They got, uh, you know, go after looking to hit the roll man or or the shooter in the corner or drive. Uh, we don't quite have the pull-up three-point shooting threats where I think this would be the best way to attack that. Um, we'd be better off running pick and rolls and drawing two guys to the ball to then kick it out and look to drive. Um, another thing you can do is cut once you get the ball inside. So if you get AD at the high post with the ball and then you run your your wing guy behind him and overlap, this is something in soccer that can cause a lot of problems. And I watch way too many sports and, and try to steal concepts. That is something that can work really well against a zone. In terms of who plays where in the zone, Bam's going to be in the middle. They're weaker perimeter defenders. They often stick on the back line on the wing. So Dragic, Hero, and Robinson are often there. Um, and then on the front lines, you see Butler, you see Iguodala, you see Jay Crowder. You could see like Hero. It, it all depends on the lineups. Um, their zone, like all two, three zones, is weak with that high-low action, attacking the high post, crashing the boards. Um, their zone specifically is weak posting up their wings which is something we can look to do. Um, often you run a zone to keep poor defenders away from specific actions, but instead of trying to bring them up to the top of the key to run a pick and roll or, or, or attack them some way, we can just go to the weak defenders and then run those actions right at them. And for LA, that might be posting up AD against Tyler Hero on the block. Um, as long as you keep a two big man lineup out there and you need Bam to defend a lob threat at the opposite block, we have really easy, just at-will, on-demand mismatches. So I, I think this zone bodes very well for the Lakers in terms of attacking. They have one rim protector, which makes this way, way easier to attack. The fact that their backline defense is smaller guys is just... Mm, I, I love the intent, and if you don't attack it with purpose, it, it helps the defense. But having those guys where they are compared to how the Lakers like to attack is just easy money for me. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Miami switch this and stick their weaker defenders up at the top and then their bigger, like Crowder and Butler, those guys at the back, um, Iguodala, 
if the Lakers go attack this specific way. Or we may even see Miami start the series looking that way. If you look at attacking in the pick and roll just in general, maybe against man, uh, Bam can execute any coverage. If Leonard or Olenek get into the game, which is probably bad news for Miami, they're not going to be able to switch, or they, they, they usually don't switch. Um, Crowder and Hill will switch a lot. Um, and they are guys you want to attack an ISO with LeBron, so keep an eye out for that. LA can use ghost screens where we have LeBron with the ball and then send a, a like KCP or Danny Green or, or Alex, maybe not Alex Crusoe. I don't want to run this with him as much. If we send Danny Green or KCP up and they go to set a screen for LeBron and then sprint, they, they slip it almost. They don't wait for the action to play out. They run, they fake setting a screen, and they, then they slip into a pop. That often either gets open threes, so we want to make sure that the player running it is a good three-point shooter, so Kuzma's another guy, or you're often going to get a switch. So if they're playing man-to-man defense, that is probably my number one way to get quick switches onto one of those three defensive players for the Lakers to go attack. All right, Miami's rim protection. This is another thing the Lakers can look to target. Uh, Bam is good, not great at defending the rim. Um, The rest of this team is not good. Uh, Bam is very athletic. He'll make some of those highlight plays, but in terms of deterring shots at the rim, contesting a lot of shots at the rim, and, and impacting the effectiveness of shots at the rim, he he isn't in the elite caliber of guys, but he's still very, very good, and he's been very, very good in the playoffs. Of Miami's eight rotation players, at least the ones we saw that last series, six of those eight guys have D or lower grades in the, our defensive field goal percentage at the rim plus minus metric, meaning when somebody's shooting at the rim, against Tyler Hero, we'll say. They're shooting better at the rim on those looks than we would anticipate that player shooting against an average defender. Um, so for six of those eight guys from Miami, like they're not just average or they're not just like not elite. They're like bad. Um, contrast that with the Lakers, who we have JaVale and AD as A-minuses, Kuz and Dwight as Bs, LeBron is a B-minus, Crusoe is a C-plus, Morris is a C, Danny Green's a D-plus, and like that's bad, but it's still higher than six of the eight Miami guys. And then KCP and Rondo are Fs. But even without the most uh, elite of elite rim protectors at this, um, and we've actually seen LeBron be pretty good at it. We've seen Morris be okay. We've seen McGee be really good. We've seen Dwight be really good in the playoffs. Even without the like a, a Rudy Gobert guy, the Lakers just have high volumes of players who can do this. And we see Crusoe get a block at the rim. Uh, Kyle Kuzma get a block. Danny Green get a block at the rim in that last game that we saw. As long as Miami's in a zone, LA can attack that weakness and utilize their lob threats. Um, they, if Miami's playing man, you want to draw Bam out and then drive. Um, running pick and rolls to the double side, meaning LeBron. This was unlike last series where we wanted to drive to the single side to create those double gaps, like we've talked about literally since like game two of that series. Um, for this series, if you drive to the double side. Not looking for LeBron to drive to attack, but looking to create a two versus one situation between your role man and like KCP on the corner and one defender. If if Miami is you know hard hedging or catch hedging or anything but a switch or or even a drop, try to create those two versus one situations and get lobs open, get uh, passes to our weak side corner shooters open. The fact that they don't have athletic lob defenders makes this much easier for L.A. Um, and and I, I just love this. If L.A. is going to attack the 2-3 zone and, and Miami only has that one big defender, what they can do is run a pick and roll towards the middle of the zone um, and try to draw that second top 
line defender towards, we'll say it's Rondo or KCP, then kick it out to LeBron, and by drawing over that second top-line defender, you're creating an open driving lane for LeBron. And then what you can do along with that is have your big man seal off Bam on the inside. Against the 2-3 zone, you can't quite bring Bam out from defending the rim unless you get him at the high post or defending a lob threat um, like in the dunker spot. But what you can do is seal him off in an open up drive. So I'm going to post a diagram of this. I already have the diagram. Um, go, go check this out as you're listening. You'll see exactly what I mean. Another way LA can attack the rim is just pushing, pushing the pace against a zone in with only one good rim protector. That is a way to get to an attack at the rim. If we talk about, my, talk about Miami's post defense, they're bad. And this isn't a team that has utilized the same tactics as we've seen Denver and Houston and Portland run, which weren't all the same, but in general, there was a lot of paint packing where it wouldn't be AD against PJ Tucker because AD is going to eat PJ Tucker up. And we saw him eat PJ Tucker up whenever he truly did have a one-on-one situation. What they did with Houston and what we saw with, with the other two teams was sending extra help. Sometimes it was a hard double. Sometimes it was just guys in the way to deter AD or LeBron from being able to really get to them and forcing them to shoot jumpers. Miami doesn't do as much of that, or at least they haven't. Um, they haven't seen a post threat this postseason like AD and LeBron, but even like Ennis Cantor was was kicking their butt. Um, just some some weaker post threats were, were scoring really well against them, so we're going to fare very well. Um, if we look at their individual defenders on the season, uh, using, again, some second spectrum numbers from a source, uh, Jay Crowder, really poor, really, really poor post defender, 21st percentile. Goran Dragic, first percentile. Duncan Robinson, like in, in, the, the, in the teens. Bam Adebayo in, in the 40s and 50s percentiles. Um, Iguodala, not great on low volume. Solomon Hill, not great on low volume. Jimmy Butler's been a pretty good post defender. He's strong. He's got active hands. That's not the guy I'd look to post up, but just about anybody else on this team, um, I, I would go after. Leonard's a good post defender. Olenek's a really poor post defender. Um, we'll keep that in mind. But if LA's playing big, you're going to get 6'6 Jay Crowder, 6'7 Solomon Hill defending lobs or defending post-ups. So it's attacking this team the right way will be about identifying with who we have and who they have. And if they're playing man or zone, where is the weakness? Let's go after it. We, LA can have five ways to attack this defense overall or 10 ways total and just use the, the right option. If, if they're showing this look and we have these guys out there, here's the weak point. Let's go get it. Um, if, if they're playing man and Bam's on AD, go sequester him in the corner. And, and LA playing 4v4 with LeBron James against Miami with no rim protection is a good situation for LA. Um, so, I mean, a lot of this is a big piece by my, why Miami will play zone, but even when they do play zone, LA can still post up mismatches pretty easily. As long as you have another big in the dunker spot, you can flash AD and get him against Hero or Dragic or Robinson and let him attack from the post. Um, I'll have diagrams up for this. Uh, another thing that we can do is if we're playing small, we can get LeBron at the high post, pass the ball to him while we have four guys on the perimeter where the defense pretty much has to align with that, where you're going to get Bam defending LeBron at the high post and then go flash AD to the low post. Um, LeBron can take his time because he's not in the paint and AD can go get in position and go look for a lob against Hero Robinson or whoever it is again. Um, so LA has a lot of great juicy opportunities in the series. I think this will be a quick series. Um, Miami is very, very well coached 
They have strong players. They have clutch guys. Jimmy Butler's excellent. Bam Adebayo's excellent. Hero, Robinson, these guys can go off. Dragic has been their leading scorer. You can't overlook or underrate these guys. But if we look at what they're good at, what they like to do, and what they're weak at, LA should be able to hold their own enough if they play the right coverages and the right defense in their man-to-man or in their zone might be able to completely disrupt this that on the Laker offensive side of things with how many weak points Miami has in their man or their zone defense, the Lakers should be able to score efficiently, have control, take it, take uh, early series lead and hold it. And my series prediction for this one after doing all this research is LA in, in five winning the title. So let me know what you think. Um, check out B-Ball Index in the article I'll put up that has the diagrams, and I'll see if I'll add a couple of short videos. Um, hopefully this adds value. We'll be checking in on these things. Thank you for sticking around for like 100 minutes. I've been Cranjus McBasketball. Um, you can find my work over at Twitter at Tim underscore NBA or the B-Ball Index podcast or B-Ball Index as the website. This has been the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. <laughs> Let's go win a title, guys. I'll see you next time. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G, because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.